everyone. My name is Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is the 142nd episode of Make Ours Marvel, the podcast that is taking you on a journey through all of the Marvel superhero adventures, uh, including the adventures of cats that are nearby who won't be quiet when it's podcasting time. We started way back in the Fantastic Four number one with 1961, and we are nearing the end of another calendar year in December of 1966, um, with what are we covering today? We got Tales to Astonish 89, Daredevil 25, Fantastic Four 60, and The X Men 29. That's right. And That's what I read anyway. Good. I'm glad you read it because I read it. And um, <laughs> now, now, now we're all set to talk about it. Yes. It's funny. We're sitting here as we're recording, and our first epic collection has dropped, so it's been some six weeks between uh, the publication of that and the publication of this. But um, but yeah, it feels weird because it's out there and people are like, wow, what even is this? <laughs> and asking questions. Right? Is this is, is this a reprint collection? What is, so yeah, we have created a new <laughs> podcast. <laughs> a podcast trade paperback. Right. I, I read Pod- that on the website and I was like, that's uh-huh. the perfect phrase. <laughs> Podcast, yeah, I don't know. Uh, a trade really paperback paper. reprint collection. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, Will be interesting. So, as we're recording this, probably another epic collection has already come out, or it has not. If there's no response to the first one, then, you know, that's what it was. Um, if there was a response to the first one, then there's probably a second one that's already been out and gone by this point, because I'll probably do this mm-hmm. once a month. Mm-hmm. But here we are looking at um, Hulk and his butt getting uh, dazzle-razzle-fazzled by The Stranger. On a very yellow cover, there are a lot of yellow cover fans out there. I don't know. It's like a thing. Yeah, which you've mentioned so, before, and it just seems so weird. Like, it is. Why, why yellow covers? I guess because they, they are so that. unusual. Mm-hmm. So what are some I big guess. yellow covers that we've had? We've had the scrolls. Oh, God. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. we should. We should have been like cataloging this stuff for people why aren't you tagging it on the website yellow cover i should yellow cover i should be hey we just had a we have a large i think it's a lot of sergeant fury and Stanley commandos are yellow covers maybe oh that's true because they have a lot a lot lot of sand and other backgrounds and stuff that are yellow yeah i wish i could i wish i had a way of looking at all our covers but i don't without clicking on them individually so right forever scrolling and scrolling and scrolling we'll make a collection an epic collection. An epic yellow cover collection that makes zero <laughs> sense to put together. We're going, we're going mad with our very moderate amount of power here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Shall we get into this thing? Let's do it. I'm back in being first seat, first seat for the episode, right? Yes. All right. So the prince and the power. Never has fair Atlantis faced so great a danger due to a one in a million chance freak accident an invincible servo robot, the mightiest engine of destruction in all the galaxy, has fallen from a passing starship and been found by Atuma the Barbarian. I mean, million to one freak accident, like, it fell from the sky. It landed in front of him. He decided mm-hmm. to use it. It mm-hmm. happens in comics all the time, right? Sure. These now, ones especially. <laughs> having managed to open its control unit... Namor's savage arch enemy has reprogrammed the killer robot, giving it one order absolute, conquer Atlantis. 
And away we go. Story by Smilin' Stan Lee, art by Wild Bill Everett, lettering by adorable Artie Simic, all of whom proudly proclaim Imperious Rex. Okay, so giant kaiju robot is stomping through the ocean, very, very easily, by the way, to Atlantis. It breaks down the wall. It starts stomping on people. Namor shouts, nobody steps on a church in my town and goes after it. Vashti's like, hey, what are you going to do? He's like, I'm prince of the realm. I am Atlantis. I'm standing here and fighting. Um, the uh, army comes out and they shoot the robot. It doesn't really stop them. Um, so the robot keeps on coming. Uh, Namor flies out, flies out, swims out, and dodges its optoblasts, turns into Ultraman. It doesn't really. Um, he, he calls upon the power of sharks to attack the robot, but the robot says, haha, I don't care about your sharks. Uh, Atuma is there saying, neener, 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 I'm your conqueror. And um, then Dorm was like in the fight for no reason. Prince, don't yield. Our people would choose death before the brutal removal of Atuma. And Namor's like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm fighting. Get out of here. You're going to get hurt. So she leaves. And it looks like she goes to make coffee. But no, she's looking for... Um, he sent her to look for a projecto camera in his mm. Imperial chamber. So she goes to the chamber. She finds the Imperial camber, uh, camera. And meanwhile, Namor finds a whale and the whale eats the robot. But then the robot says, nope, I don't care and walks back out of the whale. So Namor's like, um, how about octopuses? We're going to make some robo octo pie here. Octopuses attack the, uh, the, the robot. Robot says, I don't care about your octopuses. Um, so then we pull out, um, a jar. No, no. Namor doesn't pull out a jar. Namor's fighting the robot. He's about to get crushed by the claw when this uh, bell jar with a tube on top uh, comes out of the upper waters down, sloops up the robot. Namor swims after it. Where is this, where is this thing taking my robot? And uh, turns out the alien spacecraft has come back down. It's floating over the ocean, much in the way that golden bricks don't. And... Um, it takes the robot with it and flies away. And then was like, whew, okay, well, cool. So Atuma's been wrecked and he's f flying away, sad and scared and humiliated. I am once again Prince of Atlantis. Everything's great. Happy Tuesday. Next issue, Bira. Namor used the camera to create a projection, knowing that it was an alien thing, hoping that the aliens that dropped it would see the projection and come pick it up uh -huh. just to make the story dumber. I don't even That's see happened. that. On page 12, he's flashbacking to explain to Dorma what he did. Oh, he shot. He put a robot signal up in the sky. Yeah, like he a basically bat, bat signaled it. Yep. Into space with this gun, with this camera they have that he had her fetch for him. I love that Atuma calls this thing the mysterious robot from nowhere. Like, uh -huh. this thing just magically landed in my lap. I'm totally going to use it. Totally. Might as well, right? Um, who is drawing right now? It's uh, Bill Everett. Oh, still Bill Everett. Okay, just so, making sure. Original Namor artist. Mm -hmm. Yep, creator. Yeah, yeah. They don't what say you, that, uh, but he is. Yeah. What'd you think of this? I like the first. You know, even the first one, like you said, had that real bonkers bit where like the most indestructible robot in the world accidentally falls out of the back of their their plane or whatever their mm -hmm. spaceship. 
But outside of that, I liked the first part. This part was not as good. I don't know. It was, still, it was okay. I kind of like that Namor used his brains to defeat it instead of brawn. Mm-hmm. But it was kind of a weird uh, stretch, I guess. <laughs> like, he just, well, I don't think Atuma can make this, so it must be alien. So I'm going to shoot a picture of it into the sky and hope that the aliens are looking for it, if that's what it is. And it worked. So that was kind of weird. I feel That's like okay. a lot of times these uh, these half book strips alternate between chapters that are partially character with a lot uh-huh. of action uh-huh. and others that are almost no character with a lot of action. Right. Yep. And like even the ones that have character moments in them, whether those are a minor or major part of the chapter, it varies, you know, from story to story. But like you also have these where the, the people are doing nothing. It's just a big action piece. And mm-hmm. those I find easier to not enjoy. So I'm kind of surprised when I do. And this one, I don't know. This one was just, it's all right. Yeah, that's cool. I didn't get bored while reading it. No. And considering the last storyline was 28 parts, the fact that this was only two was kind of refreshing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's over already. We don't have to do another. He doesn't have to like go to New York again for some reason or whatever. The robot destroyed a lot of Atlantis, and yet we go back to just, hooray! And so did Atuma the issue before. So it's like Atlantis must be just on its last leg all the time. I guess they're going to have a really busy cleanup operation tomorrow. Now, Namor is one of the few Marvel or superhero archetypes that Marvel did first, right? Yes, as far as like uh, Namor versus Aquaman or whatever. Yeah, usually you credit... DC for being first and Marvel for tweaking it into their Marvel way or whatever. But right. in this case, for once, Submariner actually beats Aquaman in terms of publication. So I always kind of forget that. And then anytime Aquaman or Aquaman, anytime Submariner does like the controlling the fish thing, I think, oh, they're ripping off Aquaman now. But that could be true because I haven't read any Golden Age Submariner to know if he did that back then or if he's just doing that now because Aquaman does it now. Well, he hasn't done it much in a while. He did it a lot no. in the first couple of issues of Fantastic Four whenever he was right. like, in the water attacking him from there. But but did he predate Aquaman's ability to do it? Or is he now ripping off Aquaman who ripped him off in the first place? Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know either. Because I think the only Golden Age Submariner I've read is the one for this show. And he certainly didn't do it there that I no. remember. Um it's just weird. And now Aquaman is more like Submariner than ever to me. So it's like they just both kind of <laughs> copy each other all the time, I guess. I'm going to keep mentioning this whenever it's relevant. You know what large, bulky, heavy objects don't move through with any ease whatsoever? Water. Water. Yeah. Unless you're a whale. And whales don't move quickly. They just kind of no. move, right? So Right. Again, this series is basically adventures in air, but underwater. Pretty and all much. of our characters can fly, but we're calling it swim. Pretty much. I do think Everett is a little better than whoever was doing this before mm-hmm. about about making it look like it's in the water. A little bit. Like I mean, he puts some wavy lines and stuff, right? So it kind of seems like it. And 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 Namor is more horizontal than vertical most of the time in this fight, which is good. Mm-hmm. Makes it look like he's swimming. But yeah, like all the Asgardians are just on their feet shooting guns. Atlanteans, but yeah. Atlanteans. God, I always do that. Asgardians, Atlanteans. But yeah, they never like take advantage of the fact that it's underwater and make like an interesting idea or anything. It's just basically people with blue backgrounds. Well, the next issue box mentions Bira 
And um, since I we're nearing the end of what I have read, um, I okay. have not read very much past this, maybe one or two issues, but I do know what Abira is. Okay. Um, he's our first character to come out of the 1950s run of Submariner. I was going to say, this whole double R thing seems like a major throwback. Yeah. I know that we don't tend to give those books coverage, and we don't need to on the show, but I do plan to read Beera's first appearance and last appearance before we look at it here on the show, just to get an idea of who he was and how he ended previously. So out there Mm. in listener land, if you just want to know that information, go look up Submariner Comics 35 and 41. It might be informative. I don't know. Yeah, it might be. And I might, I might mention like the highlights from those when we get back to it. Okay. Okay. Anything else on this one? Negative. All right. Well, that comes to us a Hulk. My words keep getting jumbled tonight. I don't exactly know why. But it's this been a is week. Called, then there shall come a stranger. We see uh, Bruce Banner strung out on a rock with Hulk um, Frankensteining in the background. Last-ish, we saw our magnificent mint-colored. Mint-colored? Kind of. Not really. Uh, I mean, I guess, but I don't have to like it. <laughs> <laughs> mint-colored monster defeat the bombastic boomerang. But in so doing, old green skin was transported, transformed once more into the normal identity of the brilliant atomic scientist Bruce Banner. Handled with hulkitude by Stan the Manly and Gil Sugarcane. Lettered by Sam Rosen. Now let's join the tragic Dr. Banner as he lies exhausted upon a lonely mountaintop, little dreaming that he's just seconds away from meeting the most startling foe he's ever faced. And then the stranger shows up. Remember the strangers in a couple of X-Men issues? Um, yep. Dude with, with white hair, really weirdly shaped mustaches and beard. Like maybe he's not just beard. Maybe he's actually part of his skin is sticking out of his face like that. I don't exactly know. Um, the first time we saw him, he was just wearing like regular clothes, but now he's got like cosmic space being clothes going on. And mm-hmm. he really wants to um, attack Earth. Uh, he figures that being obsessed with greed and hatred and war and possessing atomic power, it's just too great a threat for the universe at large. So he needs to kill the people, kill all the humans, and he decides, I'm going to get the Hulk to do it for me. going to enslave the Hulk. And so um, Bruce Banner can't talk. He's stuck. He's paralyzed. And when he tries to talk, Stranger's like, ha, 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 you can't talk. I have 17 million more words to say on these three pages. Um, So we switch back to... Missile Command Headquarters, where we find Thunderbolt Ross, Betty Ross, Glenn Talbot, saying all the same things they always say. How can you possibly hunt the Hulk? He's just Bruce Banner. He's like, I don't care if he's Bruce Banner. He's a danger to national security. And Glenn Talbot's like, yes, Betty, he's a danger to national security. I secretly love you, but I can't tell you that yet because you're in love with Banner. And then Rick Jones shows up on the TV. Hey, uh, hey, General, I got this boy here. Says, you know, something about the Hulk and... Uh, Ross is like, oh, that boy's just a chap in my hide. Fine, send him in, whatever. 
And um, so Rick is like, don't you know, the Hulk is really Bruce Banner and I'm Rick Jones and I know him and he knows me and I can talk to him and I can get him to stop being such a, uh, a menace if you'll just let me do it. He's like, I don't think you can. We got to stop the Hulk. But you know what? I will let you stay in the book anyway, because I don't have an excuse to get you out of here. Besides the fact that you're a civilian, I could totally have you put in prison just for intruding upon this army base. But we're not going to worry about that right now because we got a story to tell. So um, the stranger is out with Bruce and he's just making Bruce float in the air because, you know, why not? You're a stranger. You're going to walk up to half naked men and make them float in the air. It's just what you do. He also creates um, this huge machine that kind of looks like a microscope, but like on steroids. And uh, he's, you know, he's going to use it to turn Bruce Banner into the Hulk. And Bruce Banner turns into the Hulk, and the Hulk breaks out of the floaty paralysis beam and says, Hulk's going to kill you. And Stranger says, I thought the Hulk never killed. Hulk said, well, you know what? Pshaw, I'm going to do it anyway. And so they start fighting, and Stranger paralyzes Hulk in a big old blast of Kirby Kane lightning what's-us. And then um, Stranger fills the Hulk's heart with hatred and tells him to go smash the humans. And he does. Hulk's going to smash the humans. Stranger's like, cool. Guess I'll just sit here. Mad about you, Zon. Next, <laughs> the other Hulk. I have mixed feelings about this. Yeah? Yeah. Like, I kind of like the plot. At first, I was like, okay, what are the odds, the stranger? But then I thought, well, if the stranger's monitoring, moderating, monitoring our planet and then decides he wants something to kill our planet, he must have seen the Hulk. So that's actually not a bad plan, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm fine with that because we know he's monitored the planet before. I can't remember exactly what his original goal was with the X-Men. Was it just to pick a powerful person and take him home to study? Yep. Something he, like that? He okay. was just checking out the Earth, checking out the humans and wanted okay. to pick. And he did. He took Magneto and the Toad. Mm-hmm. Magneto got away. And the, didn't he recapture Magneto at the end of that story? I don't remember. But either way, at least it's consistent that that's what he's doing. Yeah, I think Magneto is just like in a cage back on Stranger World, and he's here looking for somebody to kill the humans. So this is the next step in his his plan decision in his decision making. Like at first it was check out the humans and their powers, and now it's like okay, you guys are a little too weird, and I don't like you. So that's cool. I was really excited to see Bruce Banner still on the rock, and bummed that they gave him no voice. Like. He could be paralyzed. That's cool. But it would have been neat if he argued for the planet's defense or mm-hmm. weighed in on what he thought of the stranger's opinion about our world. Or he something. could have had some, some lines. Some lines. But instead, he's just like got this shocked face and he can't move. And so they took away all of his agency again. And we got no Hulk opinion. I mean, no Banner opinion. So that kind of sucked. And that one Spanish story is still our most Bruce Banner issue ever. Yeah. Um, the middle yeah. parts. Go ahead. I was going to say that I don't know that I ever really got the stranger's gig until this issue and the panel on the last panel on page three. Like he always seems sort of a weird evil force with weird hair. He was among the uh-huh. cosmic deities, but beyond that, mm-hmm. I just didn't know. And, uh-huh. and you know, from a cosmological perspective is he doesn't exactly have a bad idea. He is a proponent of universal peace and he thinks the earth is going to jeopardize that. So ostensibly, he is a good god who hates the Earth and decides they've got to die. I mean, that's happened before, according to the stories. So, you know, why not? Mm -hmm. And presumably there's more to him down the road. I actually don't know what it is, but I I imagine he'll have more of an origin story 
as we go along. Maybe I've only ever seen him in like the Infinity stories where he shows up at the at the meetings. Right, he's just one of those guys that's always around and all powerful. And you go, mm-hmm. oh yeah, that's one of those elemental people that I don't know enough about. Right, right. Along with uh, you know, DC has their versions of that too. But anyway, um. The, the general tells Betty, I won't be reminded that you're in love with Bruce. And I was like, why won't you be reminded of that, general? It's your daughter's lone single character trait. So, uh, you know, let her express it. Yeah, Ross is back to being Ross again, isn't he? That one moment of, like, understanding <laughs> lasted, like, that page. That one page. And then it's like, nah, I'm back to being disagreeable and a caricature. Nice to see Rick Jones, though. Yeah. I always like him going back to the book just because I feel like my association of him with the Hulk is a lot stronger than it actually is in the stories. Mm -hmm. So seeing what's going to happen with him should be good. Um, And yeah, you know, turning the Hulk brainwashed and his own worst enemy, that's going to be cool. Now, if this was the MCU, we've firmly established that this is Bruce Banner's worst nightmare. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they even did that in in Age of Ultron, you know, had him kind of get possessed and attack people and being set loose like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and he, of course, blamed himself, and it's all his fault. So will we get any of that after the story is over? I sure hope so, but we'll see. Um, I mentioned it in passing in the in the recap, but Hulk voices an intention to kill the stranger. Uh-huh. Not sure exactly what was going to happen with that, but... Um, are you uh, are you liking Gil Kane's art any more than you did last time? Or Yeah, yeah, it, it flows better here. There's less weird yeah, yeah. cartoony... Art. I'm enjoying it too. Yeah. His Hulk is um, less, you know, I'm just a large wrestler than Kirby, uh-huh. but not as like weirdly Frankenstein horror monster as Ditko. And yet it still, right. it still does have a monstrous element to it, you know? Yeah. He's definitely got funky eyes. Mm-hmm. In and fact, I, I, I kind of like that the Hulk like was strong enough to not be constrained by the stranger. That was interesting. But. Right. Right. I like that too. Ross, uh, Ross calls him the nephew of Godzilla, and I really wanted to put a uh, until General Ross has to fight Godzilla, <laughs> singer ending. But turns out um, Ross does not show up in the Godzilla comic. Oh no, he should he'd be all for it. Yeah, he really yeah. should be in that book. But oh well. But yeah, not a bad setup. A little much ado yeah. about nothing. Um, I kind of feel like this could have been accomplished in three pages, but I liked it. I guess more than well, I expected to. There is that. Yeah. I mean, outside of Bruce not talking, I actually liked it. So the only we'll thing I really didn't like is that the scene with all of the supporting characters, mm-hmm. other than Rick coming in, but even still with that, everyone is just saying the same stuff. That's they've true. Always said it. There They're was nothing re- new in that. You're right. That gets old. That same dynamic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The love triangle for Hulk. Right. <laughs> It's Without a, the Hulk. <laughs> it's like a friggin' hexagon because they all yeah. love each other in some way, somehow. Yeah. Hulk, Banner, Rick, Betty, Talbot, Ross, Brad, yeah, Janet, that's true. Rocky. Huh? Yeah. Okay. Jack Tripper. Yeah. All right. So Daredevil? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> Daredevil number 25. Wowee. Just wait till we meet old Matt Murdock's swinging twin brother. Enter the leapfrog. Boy, that's kind of a uh, a, uh, 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 a dishonest cover, isn't it, in a way? A little bit, a little bit. 
But anyway, we'll find that out in a second. Enter the leapfrog. Um, do you like a yarn that begins with a wallop? Try this one on for size. A Stanley Jean Colon epic extravaganza inked by Frank Giacoya, lettered by Art Simek. Now, if we recall last issue, even though they don't really talk about it, but uh, Matt Murdock was in Europe and he was flying home. So here's him literally at the airport home in New York and he's disembarking. And there's a guy in a green suit wearing like a bandana over his face, a la like old school cowboy bad guys. And he's got springs on his suit shoes, his dress shoes, and he's patwanging around. As far as I know, that's all he's doing. But everybody's acting like he's a murderer or something because there's like 20 cops trying to stop him. Um, but since this is 19, what, 66 and not 2020, they don't just shoot him dead when he doesn't listen. Um, so they do say that we can't kill him because, you know, we don't really know what he's done wrong other than bounce around at the airport. But he does that. At some point, he grabs Matt and holds him like a hostage and they all kind of back off, and then he springs away. And Matt's like, oh, I wish I could just beat him up right now because I'm Daredevil, but then everybody would see that and wonder how a blind guy can do that, so I won't. So I'll let him get away. And anyway, what did he even do? He just jumped around, so that was weird. So a bunch of commotion, whatever, Matt goes home. I mean, he doesn't go home. He goes to the office, and at the office, if we also recall, Karen Page just opened a letter that he never got around to opening, and it was from Spider-Man, and it says... I know Matt Murdock is really Daredevil. So when Matt comes back to the office, guess what? Karen Page and Foggy Nelson are tripping, freaking out about that. Um, and so Matt, like, on the spot goes, actually, that's probably my brother he's talking about. And everybody stops and balks and like, what? You have a brother? And Foggy's like, I've known you a long time. You've never mentioned your brother. And he's like, oh, I don't introduce my brother to people because he's kind of weird and aloof and I don't like him. But yeah, I guess I'll have to like introduce you guys sometime. They're like, yeah, we'd really like that. My brother's name is Mike. Matt and Mike? Yes, Mike. He's swinging. Okay. Anyway, so after he leaves and realizes that was the worst lie he could have told because now he's got to figure out how to find a <laughs> Mike, he uh, puts on his costume and we're introduced to a little bit of his new billy club if anybody cares about such things it not only shoots out a uh, a line now but as soon as he presses the button the tip of the line hooks so however he was swinging before it's now even easier because it just automatically has a hook on the end and he can just attach to things and swing around and pull things towards him and so cool new daredevil tech uh then we cut to that guy who was leaping around at the airport Turns out he wasn't just interested in leaping and causing a commotion. Oh, no, that was a practice run. And also turns out he has a better outfit than just the green suit with the cowboy uh, handkerchief over his face. No, no, he is the frog. Leapfrog, I guess, right? Yeah, the leapfrog. And it's like a full-on frog outfit that makes him look like a frog, like totally. Kind of looks like scuba gear, but with a frog head. Um, and he's like, with my springing powers, nothing can stop me. I can even rob banks. But then when he robs the bank, it turns out springing powers don't really help you with alarms because the alarm goes off. And Daredevil hears that. And so he confronts the springing-powered leapfrog. And not that the leapfrog really hurts Daredevil, but Daredevil really can't get a hold of the leapfrog either because apparently he is really good at springing and he's very fast and he gets away. So we then cut to the office and Karen Page and Foggy Nelson arrive the next day. And who's there but Mike Murdock in his... 
I don't know how to describe it, like plaid, plaid suit and his sunglasses and a hat. And he's looking really swarmy and smirky. And he really hits hard on like Karen and makes Foggy feel like a weirdo and stuff. He's just like the jerkiest of jerk kind of jerks. His and at some point, personality is very loud. Very loud personality. Um, very opposite of Matt because he's Mike. By the way, it is Matt in case you guys aren't picking up on that. But uh, yeah, then at one point he put, turns on the radio and there's a bulletin that the leapfrog is struck again. And Matt's like, oh, well, since I'm Daredevil, I guess I'd better go. And he leaves and Karen and Foggy are like, so that's what superheroes are like in real life? We don't want anything to do with that. Eh. Anyway, cut back to Leapfrog. He's bouncing around. Daredevil tackles him this time and tries to hold on to him. Um, Leapfrog gets away, though, but now Daredevil has his new cool hook. So that did pay off. And he hooks him with his billy club cable, pulls him back, and just starts wailing on him as hard as he can uh, until ultimately he knocks him into the water, which is how he defeats him. Although you'd think a frog in the water would not be a good idea, but it works because he's not really a frog, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um and then uh, he turns him over to the police. And then in the end, um, I don't know. I think I can't remember why Foggy's upset. Um, just flip it ahead. But to he's see. upset. Probably is always upset. Um, oh, because Matt's agreed to defend the Leapfrog in court, and Foggy is tired of all the superhero association stuff. That's why. I know you hate costume crooks, but somehow they really grab me. Next issue: more of Brother Mike. Oh no! Plus a few new swinging surprises. Mike uh, okay. Murdoch. <laughs> well, it was super dumb, but I really enjoyed it. So I don't it know. It is ridiculous. <laughs> but if you just roll with it, it's really fun. I mean, Leapfrog's ridiculous too. So I'm kind of glad that they jammed this all into this one <laughs> issue and told us, like, you know, just have fun with it. It's just supposed to be silly. It's okay. Comics are supposed to be fun, right? This is like one of the most crazy fun ideas of Marvel's Silver Age. Mm-hmm. Mike friggin Murdoch very little says Silver Age Marvel more loudly than that <laughs> and the worst part is it's drawn so extremely well too like right like you have to buy into it because Gene Colan is just amazing he just sells it mm-hmm. but here's the thing Mike huh, Mike Mike it doesn't actually respond to the problem at hand no it's like a weirdly insane misdirection I mean I love Mike Murdoch, and like I said, I love it because it's ridiculous. Um, but like the question is, why does Spider-Man think you're Daredevil? Because I have a oh, twin brother. That's what you mean. Yeah, that too. Yeah, it's like, you, you, wait, wait, what? What is that? Oh, also, if Spider-Man thinks Matt is Daredevil, and Matt can't be Daredevil because he's blind, he could have pointed to any other one of the teeming multitudes of the city. He could have just opened up the window and said, Daredevil's out there somewhere. I can't see. But no, he created yeah. a twin brother that has a, he has this immediate connection with this new person. And now you have to demonstrate that this guy exists. Did the letter even explain? I can't remember. Did the letter explain why he thought Daredevil was Matt Murdock? I can't remember what the letter said. Um, they read the letter, right? They read the letter. Uh, the, the logic was when um, in the scene that's the cliffhanger between Daredevil 16 and 17 oh. – um, Spider-Man comes to the Murdoch office to get Daredevil and inside oh, yeah, because yeah. of his spider sense, he knows that Daredevil is in there and there's right. Foggy, Karen and Matt. But he doesn't write that because I'm reading it right now. It just says 
She just paraphrases and said, the letter says Spider-Man knows that Matt is Daredevil. That's oh, all it says. I'm sorry. Are you asking if the, dare, if the letter says why he knows? Yeah. No, I thought you are asking because how Because it doesn't. So maybe they're just not realizing that it still makes no sense, though. They should be thinking like, well, Matt wasn't in the, or Mike wasn't in the office when Spider-Man attacked us. Right. I guess they don't really have the, the, the reason to try to make that connection. Mm-hmm. But, um, but if they did, it would make this whole thing even worse. And, and Matt- then the other thing. Matt doesn't know what's in that letter. And the other thing that doesn't solve anything is like he literally says at some point, I have to figure out how to make Mike and Matt in the same room, but then he doesn't do that. So are they even fooled? I mean, I think they are because I mean, Mike wears. seem to be. Yeah, Mike wears sunglasses, but Matt doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't have to, I'm going to say, pretend to be blind because I know that he is blind, but really in this comic is like a nominal thing, not a real thing. And he can ignore that. He can just act on his radar sense and act like he can see. And as long as he's not asked to read a piece of paper, he'll be fine. I guess he has to cover his eyes because even with his awesome radar sense, he can only fake so much and like his eyes probably don't dilate and look at the right things and stuff. A blind person's eyes do not look like a seeing, do not behave like a seeing person's eyes. Right. Um, Um, (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, but at some point they're going to want Mike and Matt to be in the same room. Maybe this first time they got fooled, but at some point they're going to think about this, right? You would, you would think, think so. And yeah. I at the beginning of the story, Matt saw he's a loner, Dottie, a rebel, <laughs> somebody you wouldn't understand, somebody you shouldn't understand. And we meet Mike Murdoch. He's like, "Hey, how you doing?" <laughs> um, have you ever seen Reservoir Dogs? Um. Technically, yes. Okay. Well, one of my favorite parts of that movie is he's an undercover cop, right? The whole the main character. And at some point, he and his buddy are talking about what they got to do. And he's like, his buddy's like, you have to have at least one good, you know, bad guy story, anecdote to tell at the bar to ingratiate yourself with people, right? And so they make up a story for him, his criminal behavior and all that. And they go over it so much that in the movie, when he's telling the story, it actually starts playing it out as if it actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. I just thought that's really cool that this guy believes in his lie so much that he can actually picture it happening, that it happened to him. But, it, of course, it didn't. And they kind of do that in this where, like, Matt's, like, they're asking what happened to him at the boxing thing, and he starts explaining what happened, and they show the flashback that didn't actually happen of Matt in the suit watching Daredevil fight the Tri-Man. And right. Like, and then, like, running away. Like, all those panels didn't really happen. But they, they wanted to it. draw him in here. But they show it because that's how he's explaining the scene. So, I don't know. I thought that was cool. Yeah, it's a fun bit of storytelling at the beginning there. Um, and I still say that dressing up to pretend to be Daredevil was a ridiculous set of events oh, yes. to present to Karen. Absolutely. And, and Not a great idea. Yeah. Not entirely sure what Proto Leapfrog's reason was for grabbing Matt. Like, he's just bouncing through the crowd. He grabs Matt, jumps into the air with him, lands, and lets go of Matt and keeps on going. Uh huh. He, he said he wanted to take a breather, and there were cops everywhere. So he put Matt in front of him so they wouldn't shoot, I guess. I guess. Someone with a breather. And but, you know, you could test your leapfrog thing in an empty parking lot. Right, just to see if it can move, right? Yeah. I mean, what is he doing exactly? Testing to see if he can get away from cops, I guess. I, I like the conversation on page uh, before they show him the letter. They're just like they're just trying to figure out their reality. Like Matt is blind, isn't he? <laughs> right. He didn't leave the country like Daredevil did. 
did he? Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're just, it's, what are but they he called? has been missing. Yeah. And so what was his reason for that? He said, uh, oh, he just got tired after all that and went home or something? Yeah, just like went went to a cottage or something oh, to, to relax. I headed for the seashore and got some rest without telling anybody. Oh, I remember. He said he told the boy at the door at the boxing thing to tell the blonde lady. And he's you were like, supposed what, to you didn't get you. the message? You yeah. didn't get the message? Whoops, my bad. It's all, you know, vaguely believable and, and you know, feels yeah. like the truth, but... I mean, Superman would be proud, I'm sure. Right, right, right. That's basically what all this is. But yeah, um, the only other thought I had is not in every image, but the leapfrog is a weird design. In that one bit on page nine, like mm-hmm. there's like this slack frog neck. So mm-hmm. it comes together up above where his mouth line is, and then it sags and gathers at like the human person's neck below. So I'm mm-hmm. guessing that that hanging fabric is what he sees through. But if you just mm. glance at the image, it also looks like that's the frog's gaping mouth. Yeah, it does. It's really freaky. In other scenes I've seen of the leapfrog that are not Gene Colan, he actually has his mouth slightly open. You can see beady little eyes inside peeking out, which is also creepy. Yeah. I mean, considering it's the stupidest villain ever, like, he actually sells it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It makes it kind of look menacing. And by the way, you guys, I never realized that Spider-Man's greatest villain starred in, started in Daredevil. I thought it was a Spider-Man guy. Yeah, he does come back in the, in the Spider-Man books, doesn't he? I believe he does, yes. That's where I first read him. Okay. Are we good? I think we're good. I can't wait. More Mike. Let's see. Bring it on. Fantastic Four. 60. The Peril and the Power. Okay, so this is Ooh. issue 60. 60, wow. If it were monthly, this would be the five-year mark. Oh. But since we uh, had this. Our, our, our new collection we referred to earlier only goes to 18, or was it 16? 18. 18. And we're on 60, people. Mm-hmm. So many more trades coming. So many more. Let's see, 18, 36, 54. So we're, we're three and a chunk trades into this thing. Nice. All right. Um, Doctor Doom is okay. First, the recap the peril and the power. The fabulous FF face the greatest threat on Earth with the matchless cosmic power in an itty bitty face mask. He has stolen from the Silver Surfer. The deadly Doctor Doom displays his utter contempt for mankind in a diabolical demonstration of fearsome feats. While Mr. and Mrs. Reed Richards, in company with a fighting mad thing, grimly follow the arch-villain's progress via the FF's satellite TV. But like, by satellite TV, we mean a really, really, really freaking large high-def screen. Um, Heck yeah. Dazzlingly depicted by Stanley and Jack Kirby, inking by Joe Sinnott, lettering by Sam Rosen. Um, Dr. Doom is doing really crazy stuff, like stranding ships on rocky outcroppings and stuff. Um... The thing wants to go bust this guy's face. And Reed is like, no, we can't go bust his face yet. And Sue's like, come on, stop f- face bust later. Come on. Um, we have to fight like a team. And Wyatt Wingfoot shows up and says, hey, uh, you might just want to know that your brother went off to fight Dr. Doom all by himself. And Sue's like, ah, little brothers, am I right? So mm-hmm. Dr. Doom is uh, swinging around on his saucy surfboard and the uh, uh, human torch flimes, flimes and flames and flies in to try to stop Doctor Doom, but it doesn't work. 
they fight, and Doctor Doom is just like powerful on a ridiculous level beyond anything that the Human Torch can stop. Um, meanwhile, in a heavily guarded castle atop the highest peak of Latveria, we find the Silver Surfer trapped in a prison cell, looking out a barred window to get some air and some light, because they definitely have a lot of that in space, and I'm really used to having it. Um, and the guy, the prisoner guard who's in there is like, hey, stay away from that window. I'm going to toss you around and beat you up because you don't have your powers anymore. So the Fantastic Three hopping in a, in a um, proto-Quinjet provided by the Black Panther. They go out to fight Doctor Doom. Um, it's a big old fantastical uh, fight because Doctor Doom is literally manipulating the world around them to fight them. Um, he sends the trees on them and the trees turn into like huge tentacle monsters. Uh, he gets the thing consumed by the rocks of the ground he's standing on. And Doctor Doom's like, by the way, I still got it. I still owe you for my hand. And the thing's like, oh yeah, I totally remember that happened in another issue. Um, and they fight, but Dr. Doom grabs him by the wrists and uses his cosmic power to like embiggen his own arms and strength to squeeze uh, things wrists until he like crumbles from the pain, but he doesn't. He throcks Dr. Doom away. Meanwhile, the the watcher is watching this fight happen. He's like, I I want to go. I want to go interfere, but I can't. I'm the watcher. Um, I need to. I need to go help, but I can't. I'm the watcher. Um, 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 oh, look! There's this other planet with uh, with primitive people. They're just like stumbling out of out of the caves, and and yeah, they need help. I guess I'll um, I guess I'll just distract myself. I'll leave Earth behind and go find somebody else to play with instead, and not interfere over there. So, um, Reed and Sue, uh, they find Johnny. In some wreckage, he's uh, all weak from his fight with Doctor Doom. Um, the fight continues on again, rather fantastically. But I don't like doing blow by blows. Um, Doctor Doom encases Johnny in ice. Um, Susan uses force shields on him, um, and at one point, the Fantastic Four are all on their knees, and Doctor Doom is towering over them about to deliver the coup de gras when they change scenes. Hey, look, it's the Inhumans. <laughs> they're just hanging out. The royal family have left Inhuman land and they're being spied on by some campers who don't like no one being different. Hey, look at them down there. They look funny. Let's go shoot them. They might be dangerous. So uh, Medusa takes their guns away and uh, they scare them off and um, they're just, you know, kind of being the Inhumans. They're free from their bubble and they want to go explore the world and chopping down trees is how they want to do that. So leave them alone. So we go back to the, um, the death of the Fantastic Four. Reed says, hey, look over your shoulder, Doom. It's a big old plane. It's like a flying wing that goes up into space. And um, Dr. Doom's like, ooh, gotta go catch it. Gotta go catch it. So he hops on his surfboard and flies into space to go catch it. But he hits the cosmic barrier that Galactus created for the Silver Surfer, which knocks Doom off the board. The board goes back to the Silver Surfer. Dr. Doom lands somewhere we know not. And that is the end of the story. Next, a new danger dawns. Man. 
if they had just got rid of this inhuman scene and expanded the ending and expanded the ending, this would have been the most perfect Fantastic Four issue that would never be topped. Agreed. The only problem with this issue is the ending feels rushed. Totally. It's all exposition. Mm -hmm. And like, you don't actually see the Silver Surfer get his power back to take on that guy who's been beating him in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like that would have been way fantastic. And like, he could show up all powerful again and say, thank you for helping me and then rush off or whatever. That would have been great. But outside of that, it's still a pretty damn awesome issue. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, I just want to reiterate, personally, I really like the Inhumans. But I feel like we have not seen hardly anything interesting done with them yet. And um, they weren't needed in this. And they weren't needed. I f- they did I f- nothing. I feel like either Lee or Kirby or both has a fascination with them and mm-hmm. wants to keep them on the back burner as recurring characters so you don't forget about them. I suppose that's true. But they they did nothing that changed anything. You know, Right. Like, we just still know that they're not trusting of humans and they're trying to figure stuff out, just like last issue. So, I feel like and they obviously so needed the space. Pa- I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying they, they obviously needed the space for the ending. And mm-hmm. between the Inhumans and the Watcher business, they could they could have had more pages. They could have definitely had like two more pages, which sometimes that's all you need for a scene is, you know, in comics, yeah. two pages is a lot of real estate. I will, um, I will, def- I will defend the the watcher scene because at first I read it and I thought, well, that was random. But then I was like, you know what? This is early days, and the only other time they fought a cosmic being was Galactus, and the watcher did show up and save them. So maybe this is Stan and Jack saying, you know, we're not going to do that every time. And maybe he got a letter from the other watchers saying, dude, <laughs> yeah, stop right? it! You're going to get in trouble. Should have been eaten by now. <laughs> right. <laughs> We were all watch. We were all watching to see the Earth get eaten, and instead, what do we see? There's old Uatu coming in again. <laughs> we would have we would have interfered with your interference, but we've sworn to not interfere. Right. <laughs> um, no, just just to finish up the last little thought I had about the Inhumans a second ago is that like I don't know if, if if Kirby or Lee is like really fascinated with them, but by using them so often for such paltry little scenes, you've trivialized them. You know, mm-hmm. you've made them commonplace and not intriguing. Right. But, they just, they are not the stars of this book or no. co-stars of this book. So they need to stop that, I guess. Even going into the beginning of this issue, I was like, this has the feel of the final beats of a saga. Like, mm-hmm. the whole Fantastic Four run has built up to this story. And it's wrapping with a big action drama. Like, uh-huh. If you if you did a little bit different narrative wrap up at the end to add a dramatic denouement feeling, this could have been the end of Fantastic Four. It feels like that big. Do you think like the Red Skulls watching the news and going, "Dang, I squandered my opportunity." Okay, so look at how look at how much better Doctor Doom is doing, right? Than what I did. <laughs> Red Skull spends so much time with the Cosmic Cube thinking about all the things he might could do. <laughs> Doctor Doom gets the power cosmic. He's just like, "All right, here we go." Yep, gonna wreck everything. But Kirby just like is outstanding in this in terms of like all the imaginative ways that Doctor Doom uses the power to just take them on. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of loved the narrative trick there on page seventeen. We know you don't want to see the FF die, so we're just gonna wait a little longer before we kill them. So mm-hmm. let's get human for a while. It was just a fun little yeah. narration. I love, 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 loved, loved that they mention. The beat down the th- thing gave Doctor Doom last time they fought. Yes, and 
how much it actually really annoyed Dr. Doom because normally he doesn't admit to any sort of defeat. He'll always make up something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this case, he's just That's like, no, you you humiliated us. It's like, no, you, humili- you humiliated me and I'm going to destroy you because of that. That's how bad it was. That's how much you actually hurt me last time is I'm going to pay back. But I also love that the thing didn't back down because that's what we love about the thing. He always finds that extra bit of something. That's the thing. I mean, th- when you talk about the thing versus Hulk or the thing versus whoever, the thing might not be able to win, but yeah. he is not going to let himself lose. That's right. He's, that's the best part about him. Did you count um, Reed's words on that last page panel? I did not. See if you can say it in 25 words or less, huh? Unless I miscounted, Reed takes 23. Nice. Yeah. Um, you notice that uh, uh, I think Sue is the best at fighting Dr. Doom, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Because remember that one time she just decided to go karate on him and beat him up? Yep. And then this one, sh- he's cosmic powered and he's totally destroying all of them. So she like throws like invisible balls at him and he gets mad and charges her and she just drops and he runs into the mountain. I thought that was awesome. One of her first really big issues where she got to be an offensive player was a Dr. Doom story, if I recall. Mm-hmm. The the cover of Doctor Doom like being on a screen and she's like off on the side of the cover behind a, a wall trying to figure out how to get in. Something uh-huh. like that. But she felled the cosmic Doctor Doom for three seconds, which is more than any of the other ones did. She did indeed. So that was pretty rad. Um so yeah, other than wanting more of a direct victory at the end, I wasn't mm-hmm. disappointed by this issue at all. It really and I'm, rocked. I'm I'm hoping sixty one maybe at least starts. With a, like, thanks for helping me, Silver Surfer moment or something, that would be cool. If yeah. it's just a completely new story with no reference to this, that'll be kind of disappointing. But I do believe we we'll have see. a Fantastic Four connectivity scene. I don't think he plays a big role in, this, in the episode, but I think he's there. Good. Just, um, just want to see that he's okay again. <laughs> for what it's worth, Doctor Doom won't be back in this book for a couple of years. Wow. He will appear in two other books. As well as a solo one shot before coming back to Fantastic Four. And then a year after that story, he gets his own series. So, oh, really? Yeah. Wow. It's a little short lived, but it's there. I think that was a popular thing. Yep. And Silver Surfer, he still has a few more stories, but he's on his way to get his, getting his own book too. All righty. Next. Too bad we can't end on Fantastic Four 60, but we can't. We have to keep going. The Next Men. The Next Men. That was a good series ish. Anyway, X-Men number 29, the Super Adaptoid Strikes. It's actually called on the inside when Titans Clash. I like when there's two different titles. It's more fun. Yeah. Um, another towering triumph for Majestic Marvel, Stanley editor, Roy Thomas scripter, Warner Roth artist, John Tartaglioni, inker, Sam Rosen letterer, Irving Forbush, skating instructor. That'll be funny in a second. The time, early winter, the occasion, the morning of the first solid freeze of December. And... At a secluded pond not far from Professor Xavier's school for gifted youngsters, six superpowered teenagers enjoy a moment of relaxation, little dreaming that soon they will face the momentously menacing threat of the super adaptoid. So, yeah, they're out having winter fun. And Bobby is on skates. And since he's Iceman, he can't handle it. So that's kind of funny. And he falls over a lot. But what's also funny is the most agile member of the X-Men also can't handle it. And Beast falls over a lot. So ho, ho, ho. Hilarious. Um, Angel's like feeling better and feeling like sowing some oats. So he's like, hey, Gene, I'm really glad you're hanging out with us. Got away from 
you know, call us for a little while. Let me put your skates on for you. And now let's go skating. And Scott's like, so he goes off on his own and he's like, you know, Angel just has wings coming out of his back. He can hide those. That's no big deal. But me, I have to wear sunglasses. I'll never blend in. This is the worst, and she'll never love me. Let's see if I can control without the sunglasses. And he takes them off, and he's like, okay, I'll just open my eyes a little bit. Nothing bad will happen. Come on, concentrate. As soon as he opens his eyes, zap, big giant laser comes out. He gets mad. Then he gets even more mad, and he zaps on purpose. But it kind of backfires on him because he hits a mountain, and like there's an avalanche. And he's like, whoopsie, so he runs away. Well, no harm done, he thinks. But there was harm done because deep inside that avalanche is a uh, old like place for British American Revolutionary War people to store ammunition. Okay, I guess. And inside there is a chair and on the chair is the super adaptoid and he's mulling over what he should do with his life because last we saw him, he quote unquote killed Captain America and then he was going to go figure out what he really wanted to be because he felt like a real boy again or for the first time and didn't want to just do whatever his programming was. So he's sitting there thinking about that when there's a rumble because of freaking Cyclops above having a temper tantrum over a mountain. So he's like, hey, what's going on? That's weird. I'm going to go check it out. So he goes to check it out. All the X-Men are leaving except for Bobby, who continues to fall on his skates, and now he's annoyed. So after they all leave, he turns into Iceman. He's like, see, as Iceman... Without the skates, I can slide around just fine. Uh, the super adaptoid comes across just Iceman because the rest have left. And he's like, ah, he has powers. He would make a good new second adaptoid. Because if we all recall correctly, that was his new plan was to go around making adaptoids, I guess. So he confronts Iceman menacingly. And he says, I want to be your friend. And Iceman's like, yikes. And they fight. Um, and Iceman gets away. And he's like, X-Men. There's a robot out there and attack me. And they're like, this is the Marvel Universe. There's no such thing as strange robots or anything like that. You're weird. <laughs> and they don't help him. Um, they just think he's being weird. Meanwhile, um, Professor X, who has not been participating on this awesome holiday vacation, he's been training Mimic. And so he's teaching Mimic how to fly better with his telepathy. But then at some point he bosses him too much. And Mimic's like, I'm sick of all this bossing. Especially when the X-Men come around, I think he just gets embarrassed about it. So then he comes down and, and Cyclops is like, you know what? You're not as cool as you think you are. And then they get into like a snowball fight. Uh, and then all the X-Men like attack Mimic. And finally Professor X is like, enough. You know what, Mimic? I thought deep down inside you were going to be a good guy. I've really been trying. I even let you be leader as a show of good faith. But you're just kind of a jerky jerk and you're not really blending. So I'm going to have to fire you. From the X-Men. And Mimic's like, that's fine. I never liked you anyway. And he leaves. We get a scene where Professor X is doing some science stuff and thinking about what's behind the door. So we have to keep put a pin in that. What's behind the door? What's behind the door? We don't find out this issue, sorry to say. So we still don't know what's behind the door. But don't forget about the door, people. Um, anyway, the X-Men then do some more holiday <laughs> sorry stuff. This sorry to interrupt. It just... That's literally what it feels like with his recalling it is like, don't, yeah. don't forget about the door. Don't forget about the door. <laughs> the miss, Missy is behind the door. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, for those of you who like Doctor Who. So the X-Men are now playing football, but they're playing it in their full costume, luckily, because the super adaptoid interrupts and starts to fight them. Um, and he beats them all pretty well. And now here's the thing. He can't turn people into adaptoids unless they volunteer 
I don't know why, but that's a rule. So instead, what he's going to do is absorb all the X-Men's powers and add it to his Avengers powers. Um, but before he can do that, the Mimic has been watching, and he comes out and he goes, hey, I'll be one of your Adaptoids because I kind of want to rule the world like you want to rule the world, so let's do that together. What do you think? And the Adaptoid's like, yes, good idea, and starts changing him. And as he's doing that, Cyclops is like, you idiot. He's not really going to like share the world with you. He's going to make you a minion or something. And Mimic's like, you know, Cyclops might be onto something because I'm actually feeling weaker, not cooler, as he does this to me. Um, maybe this is a bad idea, so I'm just going to fight him instead. So he starts to fight. So now it's basically, quote-unquote, the Avengers versus, quote-unquote, the X-Men, which is pretty awesome. Um, Mimic and Super Adaptoid fight. Finally, uh, it's kind of a stalemate until the Mimic, all of a sudden, seemingly the Super Adaptoid on its own, grabs the Mimic and tries to absorb his power. What we find out later is that the Mimic was using Professor X's telepathy power to suggest that to the Super Adaptoid. Because once the Super Adaptoid tries it, it kind of cancels them both out because I guess they're too similar or something. And it kind of creates a shock. And the super adaptoid falls to basically his death. And the mimic is going to fall to his death, except the angel finally recuperates enough to uh, fly up and catch him. Super adaptoid actually just turns back into regular old mannequin adaptoid. So he's lost all his powers. The mimic has also lost all his powers. The X-Men are like, oh, mimic, maybe you are okay after all. He's like, yeah, I, I want to take over the world, but I didn't want anybody to die, really. That seems like murder. So I guess deep down I am okay and I kind of think you guys are my friends now, but I also have no power, so I'm never going to be in this book again. Goodbye. Next issue, the most mind-staggering, malicious mutant of all, the weird and wondrous Warlock. But not but that I Warlock. I assume not that one. Yeah. Yeah. Neither, neither the, uh, the, the, um, the cool techno-organic guy nor his namesake, the orange-skinned guy. No. It's the whole – the first Warlock, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. Avengers versus X-Men, Adaptoid mm-hmm. versus Mimic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then neither cool. one of those characters is seen for a while. Yeah, I like it. I mean, as X-Men goes, it's very cool because we have not been liking the X-Men at all. So this was actually not bad. This is a highlight of early X-Men. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal Rankin is a total jerkwad all the way to the very end. Like, you know, except for that very last mm-hmm. panel where he's like, Maybe I am a nice guy. Like I yeah. kind of, I kind of expected whatever he walked in and said, "Hey, uh, super adaptoid, I'm your Huckleberry." I kind of expected it to be like a play. Me too. But it wasn't. He was no, sincerely. He, <laughs> he sincerely wanted to be an adaptoid. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that was maybe the weakest part of this story. And the last story is like the mimic is cool, and I like when he's around. But like they're not very subtle with him, and he seems to have these severe mood reckonings like that last issue was like i'll never be a real boy or something like that out of nowhere Mm -hmm. and then this one's like and i'm deep down inside a really good person or you're all my friends and it's like where'd that come from i learned that the real superpowers are the friends we made along the way you know it's just like we don't he seems he seems completely unbummed that he has no powers anymore right no 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 dad no cave no powers nothing (laughs) nothing but outside of that, I think it's a great idea, this whole, you've got two characters that absorb the entire power, the team of an entire team, powers of the entire team, and you pit them against each other. That was Yeah, I think like, like you've said before in other contexts, it's one of the more DC story ideas that Marvel does. Um, it's just, you know, 
they they make it work in different ways. I mean, technically, the Avengers beat the X Men in the, but then the X Men beat the Avengers after. Right. So I don't know. You could, you could decide whose side you're on, I suppose. So Cyclops has a, a crisis of optoblasts in this. That was so ser- silly. Like, I would much rather be, in terms of fitting in, I think Cyclops, is, it's got to be easier to fit in as Cyclops than Angel. I would think like, so, too. Like, all you got to do is keep your sunglasses on. That's way easier than, like, oh, you guys are going to the beach? Uh, Sorry. I have to keep my shirt on. Yeah. I mean, oh, to- we're going to make love? I have to keep my shirt on. It's, it's, it's the kind of, you know, tragedy they, they were playing up with Tony Stark in the early issues. It's like, you can't uh-huh. do anything romantic yeah. or intimate or bare-chested with anybody mm-hmm. unless you that want them know. to know what's going on with your, you know, right. appendages. Right. Whereas with Cyclops, he could say, you know, I have real sensitivity to light or something and lie. Right. Like a- right. Anyway. Um I did wonder, because he's always like, no, 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 they're stronger than ever. They're always... And I was like, it can't... Because he, he does try to restrain them, but he's like, every time I hold them in, they always burst back out stronger than ever. And I'm like, well, what if it's just a pressure thing? What if what if you hold them in so there's a burst of extra energy when you release them and then it levels out again? I feel like it can't be stronger than ever literally every time. Yeah. You know what else is concerning is he seems to be having anger problems because when he uh, – in that horrible story arc where he uh, he blasts Angel and then later wonders if he did it on purpose – at least a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And now here he is like on a like roid rage. Like, no, I love Jean and I'll smash anyone, anything that could keep me from her. And then he destroys a mountain with his eye beams. It's like, are we going to have a problem with Scott in the future here? Is he going to be a little crazy? He might. He might lead to a dark that's a lot of That's a lot of power. Yeah, he's going to be dark Cyclops. going to kill his dad. Spoilers. Um, so there is a scene that this reminded me of in early Claremont where Scott has a similar goes out to the woods by himself and lets his force beams blast un, you know un, unrestrainedly and he accidentally wakes up a portal to hell and a demon comes out. Wow. Wow. Yeah, it's so uh, it's you you'd think he'd start learning his lesson not to be unrestrained with his eye optic blasts. At some point, at some point you got to draw the line. I think I think the demons from hell might have been the line or it might have been earlier than that and he just didn't see it. Um, there's been some, I like that, go ahead. I like that the adaptoid thinks that he killed Captain America this entire issue. He mentions it multiple times. Right. As he's living in his strange little hole that is so deep, he forgot there was a world. Uh huh. It's like, he's been in there for weeks, it says. And so, yeah, he thought he had killed well, Captain America and he dug himself a, li- a little place to live. And I guess he didn't have to eat or anything. It is, it is, I've heard one of the, the benefits, the side benefits of being a super adaptoid is. Mm-hmm. You don't Being adapt robotic, there. right? No sleeping, no eating, right? No discomfort. It's pretty cool. I've heard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I, whenever he mentioned that his mission was to go and make a bunch of adaptoids, I feel like that I had heard that before, but forgotten it. Did you? Mm-hmm. Did he say that before? Did you remember? He absolutely did because he was gonna. He asked Captain America to become an adaptoid. Okay, and we were like, "Why is that a thing?" And also, why is it a thing that you have to volunteer? You can't just become one. I guess because you have to hold still long enough, maybe? Maybe. That seems really silly to me. I wish he would stop doing that. But that seems to be his his uh, agenda. Mm-hmm. Even though he seems to be trying to fight his programming and not have makers or masters anymore, he continues to do the adaptoid thing with people. Do the adaptoid thing. 
Um, I did not like Bobby getting dismissed so casually. Yes. That's a very annoying trope, especially when you live in a superhero genre Mm -hmm. and you're on a superhero team and one of your superheroes says, I saw a giant robot and you're not like giant robot. Where is it a sentinel? Right. They do that in Star Trek all the time too. They do. Like, okay, Wesley, I'm sure you saw a big giant worm. It's like, yes, I'm sure he did too. Because <laughs> every single time you guys talk about something, it's really happening. It's really happening. Have you watched your show? Have you ever encountered anybody who was imagining it? Because so far, 100% of the time, they don't imagine it. It's, it's actually real. really there. Yeah. Did you notice that it said that Cal Rankin dropped out of college to be no. on the X-Men? No. Or it says he transferred over. He transferred over. Because he was. He was going to Gene's college, huh? Right. But- if he did actually transfer and not drop out, that raises a whole question of, does Xavier's school have college-level accreditation? And if it does, why can't Gene go there? Right. Can you get an associate's degree from a high school? And I really don't know how the school thing works because they don't really get into it, I guess. They don't. But it does raise questions. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think, like, I mean, we've seen them graduate. And then when the school becomes a school again, it's like New Mutants, and those guys are all high school. Mm-hmm. Boy, grade school. Does it cover grade school? I've seen young kids there. I feel like anything, yeah, anything up to high school graduation gets included in some way. I don't know about college. But then they do, mutant powers tend to manifest at, at puberty. So we're not going mm. much below middle school. True. Yeah, I've never heard of anybody think of it as a college, but I don't know. Could be. Why not? The Adaptoid's shield is not shaped like Captain America's shield, and that bothered me. It's also not really a power you can absorb, so that seems like cheating. That's true. I, I, guess, he's, about that. I guess he's robotic, and so he could change his shape. But it's like, well, you can change your shape and do a weird shield that doesn't look like Captain America whenever you want. Why do you have to be near Captain America and scan him for that? <laughs> That's true. It's just whatever. I also don't remember him being giant before. I'm sure he was. But I don't remember noticing him being giant when he was fighting Cap before. I believe he did. I'm sure he did. I, I just... Know. It stood out more in the art here. Yeah, it did. Because they do a lot of grappling. Uh, 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 yeah, that also makes me think, I keep, now I'm still dwelling on the college thing, but that means all the other X-Men are not going to college. Is that a choice? I feel like you're right. Just, although I'm, sh- I feel like um, Hank McCoy gets a college education. He must have 28 doctorates by now, right? Well, certainly by later. So mm-hmm. is, he, is, he, is he getting them now? Is he getting them through studies at Xavier's and... By the like distance learning, yeah, online education maybe. I don't know. <laughs> University of Phoenix, University of <laughs> oh, Dark Phoenix, <laughs> University of Dark Phoenix. <laughs> that's where he got his doctorates from. That's it. That's it. Um, so yeah, that's the saga of the mimic, the first non-mutant team member of the X-Men. Mm-hmm. Evidently, they don't care if you're a mutant or not to join the team because you also invited Spider-Man. It's just that Xavier is raising mutants to fight mutants, so that's where his team comes from. Or aliens. Or aliens, that's right. Um, Mimic does have two more stories that I've read. They're both okay. way down the road. One is an Incredible Hulk issue, 161, and the other is a Marvel Comics Presents run that I talked to Jason Venable about over on the podcast that goes snicked. He actually mm. has a lot more history after that that I didn't even know existed. He like, becomes a member of the team again, doesn't he? He might do. I, d- I don't know. I know he's oh. a version of the Mimic is in Exiles, but that's all I know. 
Oh, right. I just saw a lot of appearances in the list. I was like, oh, I had no idea he was. I literally thought he faded into the woodwork. He really ought to pick whoever's the most powerful team and just be on that team. And just take their powers. Yeah, because he's whoever he's around. So, yeah, fight, being around the Hulk would be great for him or Thor, something like that. The next super adaptoid story is much closer in the Avengers 45. I think I can almost envision that cover. Uh, or actually making there, making it there. Yeah, that's actually. Ten more issues. Shoot, <laughs> we are going to make it there. We are. All right. Um, and I guess this is starting to become a little bit of a habit, but we ran rather short again. So we have brought a fifth comic to the table. Uh, this is Amazing Spider-Man 46, which was released, as all the others were, on 8th of December 1966. We're right towards the end of the year. Only two more comics for next episode. Okay, so this is about the Sinister Shocker. John Romita is bringing in another new villain. You know what's horrible about how we keep doing this, adding on another comic? It's like, yeah, you know, we don't have enough to talk about. These comics are flying by, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is we still have to read them. So (laughs) it's like maybe the talking is flying by, but I don't know about you. When a comic is bad and there's nothing to talk about, it takes me forever to read it. Did this one take you forever to read it? You didn't like this no, one? No, no. I'm not saying this one in particular, but oh, every time okay, we have okay. these every time we have these episodes where we have five comics, that means like at least two or three of them were agony for me <laughs> and we and we just have nothing to talk about. It's like backwards. It's like when they're really cool, they go yeah, by fast. Yeah. yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. Anyway, continue, well, this, sir. This starts out like any other normal day for a neighborhood Spider-Man that is while gingerly doing some friendly wall crawling, waiting for his injured arm to heal, Spidey suddenly feels the entire building shake as he is hurled from his precarious perch. This is a Stan Lee, John Romita, Spiderific Spectacular, lettered by Sam Rosen, where they brought him in just for the alliteration. Web yourself firmly to your seat, Spidophile, and be sure your mask's on tight. Make sure it has a good seal around the um, the cheeks and the chin so that your breath gets caught in the mask. This one's going to knock you out of your tree. How okay. the heck does he go around without foggy lenses? I'll never know, man. Now that we have this pandemic and I can't right? wear my glasses with my mask <laughs> ever. Do you think his spider mask has like a little, um, like a brad in the cloth to pinch on the nose? I don't know. You to know keep what? the breath from fogging up into the eyes? When you, when you, I, I've seen cosplayers in like, I don't know if Spidey gets this particular, but like they have a mold underneath the fabric to shape their face to look like Spider-Man. Mm. So maybe he does too. Maybe it's like a hard, a hard you know, structure face? underneath or something. I don't keep know. that keep that nose ridge going. Mm-hmm. So the vibration, Spider-Man's like, what's going on here? He swings in a window and sees a dude wearing a yellow quilt with some fancy doodad brass knuckle looking things on his um, you know, knuckles, but they have buttons. And whenever he aims his arm at Spider-Man and pushes the button, these intense vibra shocks go through the air and blast him. So I was like, I don't even know what that is, but I only have one arm, so I got to take this guy down quick. And it doesn't quite work. Spider-Man and the Shocker tussle it out, and the Shocker gives him a double-fisted monkey-style shock attack and knocks him into the wall and runs away with the loot, whatever loot he was looting. So Spider-Man's like, oh, shucks. So he goes downstairs and changes into his Peter Parker clothes, which takes a while because A, he's all bruised up, and B, he has a bad arm. As he's walking down the sidewalk, Harry Osborn drives by in his smooth sedan, 
And he's like, hey, can I give you a lift, Peter? And Peter's like, sure. Can we go to the bugle? He's like, sure. Can I ask you a question? He's like, sure. What's going on? He's like, sure. Hey, um, so my dad got me an apartment just a couple of blocks from campus. So now I don't have to go all the way in from wherever every day. And Peter's like, great. And Harry's like, but here's the thing. It has, count them, two bedrooms. Peter's like, great, because I wasn't going to sleep with you. And Harry's like, yeah, we can talk about that later. But first, I was just going to see if you wanted to move in and share the apartment. And Peter's like, huh, I've been thinking about doing something exactly like that. But I got to talk to my Aunt May. So why don't you, uh, why don't you pencil me in for move in? And I'm just going to go clear with my aunt because, you know, something's got to go on with that old lady. She's, 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 she's going to die without me. So um, Peter goes to the Daily Bugle. Foswell's like, ah, that kid. I need to figure out how he takes Spider-Man pictures. And um, Peter says, hey, Jay, Jonah Jameson. Um, Jameson says, what? And Peter says, hey, I've got these uh, pictures of this new bad guy that Spider-Man was fighting called the Shocker. And Jonah's like, Shocker? I've never heard of it. These are exclusives. They'll sell newspapers. Here, have a candy bar. And um, so Peter's like, no, no, no. I'm not going to leave until I have a check in my hands. And Jonah's like, but Betty's all busy. No, I'm not going to leave. Just give me the photos back. And uh, so John actually writes him a check and Peter takes the money and leaves. Meanwhile, Foswell has put on his patch disguise and he follows Peter down the street to find out how he gets those Spider-Man pictures. Meanwhile, the shocker is running to his home to put away his monies and he gives us a little bit of a flashback. He was in jail putting stuff together in the technical labs because in jail you can always go to the technical labs and put some inventions together. You can make yourself a shocker outfit or you can make yourself a doomsday device. It doesn't really matter. It's a prison lab. They can let you do whatever you want. So um, shocker makes himself a shocker outfit, makes himself a quilt, uh, clothing. So he's all cool. He's the shocker now. Peter goes to pick up his beloved Mrs. May Parker from returning from her uh, vacation. And May's like, oh dear, your arm, be still my beating heart. He's like, no, 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 I just, I just sprained it. It's fine, I'll be good in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. And she's like, okay, well, I just, I just worry about you. And um, Peter asks her, you know, now that he's just seen her first thing, hey, oh no, no, that's right. She's like, I have something I want to talk to you about. And Peter's like, I have something I want to talk to you about. And it, May's like, but I want to move in with Mrs. Watson. And Peter's like, you want to move with Mrs. Watson? I want to move with Harry. It's going to be great. So everything works out there. Meanwhile, this is really taking up too much detail, but you know, I'm having fun. So um, Peter and uh, Aunt May go back home. They say Mrs. Watson and Mary Jane. Peter takes Mary Jane to the Silver Spoon. Flash and Harry are there. Flash says rude stuff. Uh, Peter tries to dance with Mary Jane. Um... Oh, it tells Mary Jane he has to leave, go be Spidey. Foswell almost sees him. Peter tricks him into thinking that he's not really Spider-Man by making a Spider-Man web doll and swinging it off into the woods. Um, and then Spider-Man goes after the Shocker and they fight and the Shocker is super shocky and knocks over lots of stuff and almost gets Spider-Man a good one. He no longer has his arm in a sling because his arm's feeling a little bit better. And finally, Spider-Man catches the Shocker by webbing his thumbs back. Like he shoots webs and his thumbs can no longer reach the buttons on his shocker things. So shocker's gone. And Peter's like, okay, that's fine. Next day he's like, it's moving day. And he has all of his belongings packed in two like briefcase sized suitcases. <laughs> like, 
Like, I don't know what this kid is taking, but it's like two pairs of jeans and like five new underwears. Clearly he's a Buddhist. Right, right, right. So um, Peter and Aunt May bid each other a tearful, heartfelt, romantic goodbye. I mean, you've got to see the panel. And uh, yeah, Peter moves in with uh, Harry and Harry's like, great. Welcome, Peter. I got to go. And Peter's like, oh, I guess even though I have everything I ever wanted, I guess I'm just going to stand here and look lonely on this last panel of the book. Next issue, Craven the Hunter. So maybe one of the drawbacks of Spider-Man being the groundbreaking uh, Marvel tradition that he is, Mm -hmm. is that occasionally the villain is the least interesting thing in his stories. (laughs) This has happened, I think it first happened, I noticed, with the Molten Man. And then I think we've talked about it a few other times with the Ditko run. Uh And now this is like the first time I felt it with With Ramita's like... I wanted to read all the other pages more than I cared about the Shocker, who seemed like he was just added on because we need some sort of villainy to fight. He has never struck me as a super interesting bad guy, although he has a very memorable look. I love his look. Yeah, I agree. But He's he always has, looked cool. He has no pathos. He has mm. no um, no driving motivation. He's just a crook. His origin is really lame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon, which is fantastic, by the way, mm-hmm. um, really captures the feel of Ditko stuff. But they kind of play with some of the characters and toy with some of the ideas, and they end up making Montana of the Enforcers turn into the Shocker. Because mm. the Enforcers break up after the big man's taken care of, and Montana's looking for something new to do, and so he, he makes you know the Shocker things. And that's just a little bit more interesting, because you had, you had already connected with those characters. But yeah, I don't, we don't know anything about this shocker dude. And then in the MCU, we had two shockers in one movie because it was like that, it was one of the weapons they had developed from the alien Shatari stash. Right. And like, and like it passed from one guy to another because they killed the first guy for being disloyal. That's right. I forgot about that. And, I've completely and, forgot that was even in the movie. You're right. Yeah, because they don't dress him up in a costume, but he does wear the shocker things on his wrist and punches Spider Man around. It's kind of cool. But yeah, he's like just kind of a B class. Or C-class villain. He's working for the Vulture, so how great could he be, right? Right, right. Uh, and we all know how much I love the Vulture, but I got to say, in the MCU, they really did a Vulture that I did get behind, so that's kind of interesting. But the Vulture's not in this. Anyway, yeah, so I always liked the look of the the Shocker. I never really thought of him as much of a threat anymore than, uh, you know, like Whiplash or something like that. Uh, I don't think he's like a top 10 Spidey villain, I would think. Uh, top 10, no. I mean... Maybe 20 to 25 for like, you know, classic look and just showing up a lot. But mm-hmm. but yeah, everything else about this was way more interesting. I could have read the entire issue just about him getting an apartment, I guess. I don't know. The shocker was just like, whatever, let's get let's get that part over with so we can get back to the Peter Parker stuff. Um, speaking of Peter Parker stuff, we've got some really cool things going on with the um, Harry Osborne apartment offer. Yes. And he finally has a thought bubble about the Green Goblin being Harry's father, which I liked because he hadn't been doing that, which I thought was weird. Um, and the, the whole thing with moving with Harry uh, Osborne, it's like they were they were enemies 10 issues ago. Mm-hmm. But now they're friends enough that he's mm-hmm. going to move in with each other. And that's kind of a big deal. It is, yeah. This is his first friend. You're right. Wait. Right? You're right. He's never had a friend in this in the first 47 issues outside, of, you know, obviously like, you know, Aunt Mays' friend, of course, 
Betty was his friend, but also a love interest. Also, Aunt May's a family member. So it's not really just like a straight-up friend. Um, and males, especially, were always just being mean to him all the time. So this is like his first like guy friend, his buddy. Um, and I'm trying to think, like, what other friends Peter is going to have? <laughs> I think Flash becomes his friend eventually, right? Yes. Way down the road, Flash becomes Way his friend. Way down the road. Um, how great would it have been if he hadn't dealt with the Green Goblin yet until they became friends and roommates, though? But, oh well. That would that. have made things super interesting. Very, right? Like, he barely knew uh, uh, Harry when he revealed Harry's father. I recognize your hair, basically. <laughs> no one else has that weird Tootsie Roll tacky hair that you've got. <laughs> But of course, right. he has to ask his Aunt May for if it's okay before they can move in together. And like, yeah, that feels normal. That feels like, you know, I'm moving out. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I saw somebody online say recently that Peter really neglected his aunt to go be Spider Man. And I've got to say, I disagree with that strongly. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, he's turning into an adult and he's going to go move out on his own. And, <sighs> but it's going to leave her alone. And knowing that she's going to be with Mrs. Watson is probably a, a huge relief. I liked how they both wanted what they wanted, but at the same time, it made them both sad. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you're getting what you want, and at first you seem happy about it, but ultimately, yeah, Aunt May is going to miss Peter and worry about him, so that makes her sad. And Peter doesn't really recognize what his deal is, but in the end, he's like standing alone in an apartment going, why isn't this making me happy? Right, right. So You'll find um, that uh, having is not nearly as nice a thing as wanting. Probably because he misses his Aunt May. But he didn't say that per se. He just did yeah. a cap sad thing. But anyway, what well, is it? Is a little bit anticlimactic to like get all moved in and ready to like you know have your own life and your roommates like deuces. That was a little weird. Like, geez, stay and you know get drunk together or something. Why are you right, leaving? Right, that was well, odd. Watch him leave for like ten minutes and come back with, be- yeah. with like you know groceries or beer or something. And yeah, he probably he had a bow tie on, but then he always has a bow tie on. So he always I does. Don't, I don't know where he was going. Maybe he had a date. Is he dating Gwen? He said I, that. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. and Gwen are dating. And um, I can't remember if I talked about this last time, but it was a, it's a thought process I've been having lately that, like, John Romita seems to be Peter Gwen is endgame, but I would mm-hmm. do a lot of other stuff before that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not, I'm not just going to make it that easy for you. So Mary Jane, even though we think of Mary Jane as the main big deal, I think for mm-hmm. now she's mostly the distraction. Absolutely. She's, we only know she's the big deal because we have that kind of you know, insight into the way down the line. But, right, right. But she's certainly – Gwen was certainly the first big one. And, uh, and Mary Jane is not only in the way, but I do like how Peter is like thinking like he's kind of annoyed by her sometimes. And also he wonders, what's wrong with just liking Mary Jane? Why do I keep thinking about Gwen when I see Gwen? Is it just because I can't have her? Is that the only reason I want her? Mm-hmm. We've all had those kind of thoughts before, so I liked I liked all that, like him trying to figure out his own bonkers brain and coming up with nothing. We are coming into an interesting bit of um, passage of time dilemma because these mm. issues have really felt like they're going one after the other after the other, mm-hmm. but everyone is talking like there's all this time. Like mm-hmm. you know, Gwen hasn't really been talking since Mary Jane hit the scene. Mm-hmm. They haven't really been seeing each other, and I'm like. Last issue was yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was wondering about that. They don't actually say how long. And he is injured here. So it's like, is he just been injured a couple days or is it weeks? Because I was under the impression that Spider-Man heals fast. Mm-hmm. 
but then it makes it sound like it's been a while. And maybe it has been a while. But, but Aunt May's been on this vacation the whole time, too. How long was she gone? Was she gone a few days? Was she gone two weeks? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a little bit weird with the time. And I guess even though he's Spider-Man at the beginning of this, that doesn't mean it's it's following up necessarily from when he was Spider-Man at the end of the last time. He no, he's just d- practicing uh, his wall crawling, it says. <laughs> right, right, because he needs to do that. <laughs> so speaking of powers and how they work, that's the other thing I was wondering is like one of my first – when I first started reading Spider-Man, it was like the 80s and Ned Leeds was theoretically the Hobgoblin or we didn't know. Mm-hmm. But every time Ned Leeds was around, Spider-Man's spider sense would go off. Peter Parker's mm. spider sense would go off, right? Because he was a villain maybe or just a jerky husband. I'm not sure which. But like here we have Foswell like actively stalking Peter with evil smiles on his face. And Peter's and Peter, completely oblivious. He's oblivious until he almost catches him changing. So that's like when the actual threat makes his spider sense go off. But I was just wondering if like, I think in the future, like it probably would have gone off a lot sooner than that if he's being stalked or followed. I think so too. I mean, Foswell's not being nefarious. He's just being nosy. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he used to be a criminal isn't really being mentioned very much. He does have some pretty crafty facial expressions in a couple of panels, but He's really just, you know, wants to know Peter's business. So I guess, you know, the spider sense fairies might not really see him as being something harmful. He is a really weird character, isn't he? He was like, he was like the gang leader of this organized crime syndicate thing. He was the he was the kingpin before the kingpin. Yep. And now he just like works at the paper, and he has this weird patch disguise. Sometimes it's like, how did he get away with all this? Why isn't he still in prison? I forget about that sometimes. I forget that he was that guy. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes you wonder, like, how long is the prison sentence for a would-be crime lord? Right. I mean, because you were only gone, like, ten issues or something. And then but the yeah. fact that J. Jonah Jameson hires you back is ridiculous. But anyway. Um, okay, so Flash is getting ready to go to uh, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. We have the dancing at the Silver Spoon, which only – the scenes like this only happen a, f- a handful of times – but they feel so classic Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be oh, a they're really, really good... they're really getting into the groovy teenager thing now. Like, yeah. Ever since Mary Jane came along, who is full on like beatnik, uh, all the other people are now talking the same way, kind of. Yeah, not, with all the slang, not to the same level as she does, but right. And it's even spreading into like I me- I noticed the other day when we were covering an Iron Man that freaking Tony Stark called someone dad too. It's like what the heck? What's going on here? This is just okay, Stan. It's okay if the teenagers do it, but Tony wouldn't do it. Right, Relax. right. Anyway, I don't think Tony's going to try to fit it with the slang. No, the kids he's slang. A, he's a white Republican, rich white Republican. He doesn't yep. know how to be cool until he becomes Robert Downey Jr. And then he totally knows how to be cool. But anyway, um, notice I, how we haven't talked about the shocker at all. See, <laughs> I, I flipped past the pages with his origin story. So I was like, okay, let's go to the other whatever. stuff. <laughs> whatever. Who cares? Um, I'm always amused because it's totally ridiculous and shouldn't work. But this whole like Peter changing the tone of his voice and covering his face with his mask to mm-hmm. make himself sound like he has two different voices while Patch is listening in. And Patch mm-hmm. never actually looks around the corner until right. the moment whenever it's okay for yeah. him to do so. I feel like it was at least one cartoon, if not multiple cartoons, where he did do the Clark Kent Superman thing. With his voice. Was that the 60s one? Where he's like, hi, I'm Peter. But then he puts his mask on and he's Spider-Man. 
Um, Something like that. Yeah, that sounds like it might be the uh, the 80s one, too. That's like one of the one things about the Tom Holland MCU Spidey that I dislike is like he makes no effort to not sound like a 15-year-old boy. Right. And his name's Spider-Man. Um, well, you, so, when you were a yeah. 15-year-old boy, you wouldn't want to go by boy. You'd go by man. I mean – well, I know, but I I don't think people in the MC or in the Marvel universe in these comics re- realizes that Spider Man's a boy, though. True. Like like fellow superheroes. I see what you're saying. So Spider Man comes along and sounds prepubescent, and she's uh-huh. like, "Wait, how old are you, hey, kid? guys? Remember that old movie called Star Wars? Like, right? Okay, you've just outed yourself, you know. And like, whereas '60s Spider Man, I never felt like." Captain America is on is aware that he's like a teenager, you know. Right, right, right. They ask him to be on the Avengers. They probably wouldn't have done that if they knew he was in high school. Well, no, probably he's not in high not. school anymore. He's in college now, I guess. But Let's I was just it. always under the impression that he did somehow make his voice older sounding. But prob- that doesn't mean this trick should have worked because it's no, pretty and silly. the whole like stuffing a costume full of web <laughs> and swinging it away. <laughs> yeah, right. It's yeah. kind of funny, but you know what the thing is? Like they've been. They've been teasing this whole, like, he's going to figure things out for two issues now, and then this was the solution. That seemed kind of a letdown a little bit. You know what it feels like? It feels like a Superboy story. Mm-hmm. And it's saying, look how ridiculous this is, kids. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like they're doing. What would have been cooler is if on page 11, when he says Parker is Spider-Man, we then cut to never seen Foswell again this issue so that we're holding our breath wondering... What's going to happen next week or next month? But they didn't. They just got it over with and it's over and now we don't have to worry about it anymore. It's all gone. Goodbye. It's all gone, yeah. Um, Flipping past the shocker fight because, you know, it's just a shocker. (laughs) I liked the gimmick on how he caught caught shocker at the end. Yeah, that that was clever. I like that too. And tell me I'm wrong. Bottom of page 19, Peter and May, they're about to make out, right? It doesn't help that he always calls her like hot and stuff. Pretty lady. Like like he's trying to make her not feel old, I guess, which is which is kind of cute, but it, every time he does that it comes off creepy to me, I don't know. Yeah, I maybe, remember Maybe I'm reading it wrong. I don't think Don's listening, but I remember um describing it as Peter flirting with his aunt and mm-hmm. that just sent Don over the edge. But it, I mean, it's literally what he's doing. I mean, they're not related. I guess they could get busy, right? Let's let, let's let's pretend you didn't say that. <laughs> Well, they're not, but they're not, right? Or is he, they're is, not? They're not related by blood, though. No, I believe no, so. Ben and Richard were were brothers, right? So yeah, they could totally just get married and stuff. And yeah, Peter has his um, red motorcycle, his new apartment, and he is still all alone. Mm-hmm. Next issue, Am I cursed Craven to never the Hunter. Be happy? Was he happy before he was Spider Man? Though probably not. He never seemed happy then either. No. Based based on the five pages we got of pre-Spider-Man Peter Parker, he didn't seem mm-hmm. like a happy dude. So other than when he was getting wheat cakes, he was really happy then. And the telescope, I guess. That made him happy. And I guess that's another Spider-Man issue. That's it. We end on a sour, sad Peter Parker note. Oh, poor sour, what else sad is new? Parker. So next time, we're going to cover four more comics. Maybe. Uh, unless we cover five. But those are going to be the Avengers 37, Strange Tales 154, and that'll be the end of another calendar year. Wow. Then we'll be starting 1967 in heaven with Thor 138, Sergeant Fury 40, and maybe, not saying, I I feel like I should start saying this, maybe Tales to Astonish 90. Maybe. If you want to read it, 
just for fun because you're going to read it eventually anyway. Yeah. Or you could just hit pause and read it. That's how that works because it's a podcast. Because that's how we do. We're recording. <laughs> we hit pause that's right. And go read the book and come back. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> All right. So, um, Mike, where can they find us if they want to talk about Spider-Man? If they want to talk about Spider-Man or X-Men or Fantastic Four or Daredevil or Tales to Astonish, they can go to MakeOursMarvel.com. There you will find every episode. You will find links to Facebook and Twitter. And you will find a contact form you could use to talk to us about those titles or uh, uh, anything else you want to talk about, really. Or you could just write directly, podcast at MakeOursMarvel.com. Uh, Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. I can be found on Twitter at John Reads Comics. Um, my other shows can be found on Twitter, Return to Cybertron, a Transformers UK podcast at TF UK podcast, and All the Pouches and Image Comics podcast at All the Pouches. I happen to notice, Mike, that our website has a new feature. It does, because um, I don't know when this is going to happen, but as of this recording, I had to pay $5 to watch New Mutants, so I need to be reimbursed. <laughs> yeah, so there's a new PayPal button right. on the um, – people have said, we want to give you money for your shows. And we're like, uh, I, okay. So yeah. we expect nothing but appreciate everything that you might want to yeah. give. And you know, let me know if it doesn't work because I've never done that before and I didn't really test it. So it's just there. See what happens. All Everybody right. should practice. If all 5,000 of our listeners donated a dollar just to make sure it works, <laughs> hint, hint, that'd just be cool. to make sure it works. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I like that idea. All right. So until next time, or until Spider-Man realizes that Matt Murdock can't be Daredevil, because Matt Murdock is dead. Make ours marvel. marvel.